Welcome to the Answers from Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Lalone. In each episode, you'll hear from leaders across the world. You'll hear their struggles, their thoughts on leadership, and a parting word of wisdom from each guest. Are you ready to hear Answers from Leadership? I hope you are, because it's coming at you right now. Today we have Sandy Ash joining us. Sandy is an internationally recognized speaker and author of Excellence at Work, The Six Keys to Inspire Passion in the Workplace. Recently, she co-authored Roar, How to Build a Resilient Organization, the world-famous San Diego Zooway, along with her co-author, Tim Mulligan. Ash partners with companies globally to create workplaces that are passionate, focused, healthier, and resilient. Sandy, what else do you want listeners to know about you today? Well, first of all, I'm super excited to talk about leadership. It's my passion, and I think it's very underrated, and so excited to talk with you about that. And uh, I have a son who's now going into his junior year at UC Berkeley, Haas School of Business, to be a business major, and he is a true natural leader. Of course, I'm not biased, and so I have a real understanding through many passionate conversations that we have about business and leadership, what the mindset is of younger people these days in their 20s. Uh, and maybe even to their 30s. And uh, here's another very important thing you should know. I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank. So if any of your listeners are Shark Tank fans, I am addicted to the whole idea of what it takes to be a, a successful leader and a successful business owner. In your bio, I mentioned that you have a new book, Roar, How to Build a Resilient Organization. What's the book about? Well, the book is about how do you build resilience? How do you build resilience as an individual in a resilient team, a resilient company? And how do you as a leader create the mindset, the skill set and the tool set for yourself and for the people you're leading to create exceptional influence and success in the world? In the book, we use the San Diego Zoo, the world-famous San Diego Zoo, as the backdrop, and we pull on fabulous stories about how leaders at the zoo have created this extraordinary 100-year-old organization that has persevered in the face of crisis, adversity, and difficulty, and they have just continued to expand and grow and build their brand equity to become known as the world-famous San Diego Zoo. What's one cool thing you can tell us about the San Diego Zoo? Well, the world-famous San Diego Zoo. Oh, so many. Oh, here's one of my favorite stories about the San Diego Zoo. One of the things we talk about in the Resilience at Work model and how to build resilience is the importance of transparency. And uh, the San Diego Zoo has a fantastic example of transparency. If you've been to the San Diego Zoo, or if you haven't, you ought to go, be sure to go to the Elephant Odyssey exhibit. So whereas typically at zoos, animal exhibits would sort of be concealed and you would only really see the front side of the exhibit. You would never really have access to what goes on behind the scenes. Elephant Odyssey is the complete opposite. They've actually turned the exhibit inside out. So whereas before there would be criticism and concern and skepticism, 
about how the animals are treated. Because the exhibit is turned inside out, when you visit Elephant Odyssey, you actually get to walk inside and behind and through the exhibit. In other words, nothing is hidden. Everything is completely visible. And in the world of animal you know, conservancy, that's a brilliant example of how you not only create a perfect environment for animals, but you also create an environment for everybody else to really feel a complete sense of certainty and confidence and security in terms of what is being offered. And I think that's a very powerful metaphor for leadership. The more transparent we can be, the more we can allow people to really see what's going on behind the scenes and inside out, the more trust and loyalty we're able to cultivate. I love that example. You, know, you, you don't see that in a lot of zoos. You know, everything's behind the scenes other than when you see the, the bears or the elephants or the giraffes out in the habitat that they've created, but you don't see what it's like behind the scenes. Exactly. And that's the same in businesses, by the way. Very often, you don't get to see what's happening behind the scenes. And that can breed gossip, skepticism, lack of trust. So that whole, um, I'm going to say that whole paradigm of creating transparency is a very, very powerful metaphor, not only in zoos, but at work and in life as well. Yeah, that great point about the business area, too. Before we get into the main questions I was going to ask, let's go back to the transparency. How does a business, or how would you suggest a business create more transparency in what they're doing? Yeah, well, to create transparency, first of all, you have to have extraordinary courage and faith to be willing to do that. Because typically inside of business and leadership, there's a sense of it's not appropriate or it's not a safe to tell everybody the complete truth. And in the book, Roar, in in the spirit of how to build resilience, we really talk about how telling the truth and being vulnerable and authentic is absolutely critical to building individual and organizational resilience. So how you create transparency inside of an organization it's almost by pulling back the curtains on everything that you do and being willing to be brutally honest, boldly transparent, authentic, vulnerable, and really share with people everything that they want to know and everything that they need to know with the understanding that the more people know, the more confident they are, the bolder they are, the more courageous they are, the more connected they are. And by the way, when people are connected, that's when they're creative, that's when they're innovative, that's that's where big ideas are born. Got it. And in your new book, Roar, it's about creating resilient organizations. What does resilience look like to you? Yes. Well, I have a very unique perspective on resilience. I think typically when people think of resilience, they think about how well or how quickly they recovered from a challenge or adversity. So in other words, typically when you think about resilience, it's almost like looking in the rearview mirror. It's sort of a hindsight. Well, I was able to bounce back, and I bounced back pretty quickly. And what I'm suggesting is resilience goes way beyond that. Resilience is more than just your ability to bounce back from setbacks. It's your ability to proactively leap forward. So what do I mean by that? You know, resilience begins long before the challenge or the crisis or, or the adversity or the disruption. It, it begins long before the storm, if you will. And it 
It's really a proactive, systematic cultivation of a mindset, a skill set, and a tool set that enables you, no matter the circumstances, to remain consistent with who you committed to being and how you committed to being known at work and in life. So in other words, resilience is our ability to be at cause, C-A-U-S-E, rather than effect, no matter the circumstances. I, I love that definition, your definition of resilience. It's a little different than I think some people would think of it, but you know, it's, it's powerful. And why is this important to leadership? Well, it's important because we're living in crazy times, Joe. <laughs> you know, I, I, we live in what I call VUCA times, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous times. In the world is evolving and changing at lightning speed, much faster than we've ever been taught to deal with. And I don't know that we have the skills to be able to deal with the amount of stress, demand, pressure, adversity, disruption that we're facing in the world today. And I think um, for the most part, people are bombarded 24-7, 365 by ringing, pinging, texting, tweeting, Facebooking. There is no white space. There is no boundary really anymore between work and life. And so to be able to remain calmly focused, to be able to sustain an overall sense of well-being, it's absolutely critical that we develop resilience. Yeah, yeah you're so right about there not being a lot of white space in our lives anymore. You know, I was being pinged on my phone this morning at, I think it was 6 o'clock. And I was like, already? <laughs> Or, you know, Memorial Day weekend, I was being hit with phone calls because we had an issue at work. We don't have that time just to break away and be free anymore. Exactly. I'll tell you a great story. A couple of years ago, I was up um, consulting with a group of global oil and gas leaders in a merger and acquisition. And one of the senior leaders confessed that he sleeps with his cell phone. You know, first thing he reaches for in the morning when he wakes up, his mobile device to check texts and emails. Well, you know, this stirred up a frenzy of conversation about, you know, why that's not a good idea and how difficult it is to juggle the demands of work and life and uh, not get burned out. And eventually, every single one of the leaders in the room, young and old, all confessed that they sleep with their mobile devices. And I started to think, wow, when did that become the new normal? I mean, what happened in our world that the first thing we do in the morning, sometimes before we do anything else at all, is we check texts and emails. You know, and, and I understand why we do that part. I do that too. It's an addiction for one. <laughs> we want to be connected and we want to know what's going on, but there is a cost to that. And although it's amusing, it's also quite concerning because I think what's happening is people are pulled and stretched and pressed and bent. There's so much demand and people are compromising quality of life. And quite honestly, I think people are getting tired of that. And have you noticed that people are getting sicker and sicker? You know, how many commercials do you see on TV for little purple pulls these days? So I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is Business is changing so fast. I mean, if you just think what happened the last five to 10 years to some major companies and major industries, I mean, the world's largest taxi company has no taxis. 
right? Yeah, yeah you're Uber. World, you're right. The world's largest accommodation provider owns no real estate, right? Yeah, Airbnb, yeah. right? And then, you know, what about the world's largest retailer has absolutely no inventory? Amazon? Actually, or, Amazon has inventory. Yeah. It's Alibaba. Okay, yeah, that's right. They, they, they just got pretty big. I know they just did an IPO. Yes. I, I completely forget about them because... They're not stateside. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that's just an example of the speed at which business is changing and evolving. I mean, you just don't know what's around the corner. You better be resilient. Your team better be resilient and your company better be resilient. You're saying everybody needs to be resilient. Is that something everybody can learn? Well, I think everybody can learn resilience. Resilience isn't reserved for the rich or the famous, right? I mean, it's a, t a skill set. I would say it's a mindset, a skill set, and a tool set that everybody can develop and everybody ought to develop. And uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the resilience at work uh, competencies and the five C's. Just a simple roadmap or blueprint for everybody at any stage in their life to build more resilience. What can an organization do to help or encourage their team members to become or build resilience? Well, first of all, you know, there has to be a commitment. There has to be a commitment to honor people. Uh, I was speaking with a CEO of a construction, a high-profile construction company out here on the West Coast this week, and I said to him, what is the thing you want the people in your organization to know? And he said, Sandy, it's all about the people. You know, so that's it. When people in leadership recognize and acknowledge that the success of a company begins and ends with its people, that's where they create a willingness to put people first. And for some people, that might sound very, very risky, you know, because typically in business, we put profit first before people. And yet those leaders who put people before profits they know and understand that that's where the biggest payoff is. So an organization needs to have that consciousness and that commitment to making sure that, the, that their people are given the skills and the tools to be as successful as they can be and to thrive. In Roar, you, you talk about the five key elements of resilience. What are those five keys? There are five keys. I call them the five C's. We package them as the five C's so everybody can remember them. And the first is control. The second is conditions, communication, connection, and commitment. And each one of those C's has some specific ideas and concepts around them to help people in a very simple, practical, and systematic way build more resilience. Can you go over a couple of ways control helps build resilience? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually control of self, self-control. Yeah, because you know, hearing it, somebody could think, hey, control means I'm going to control other people. Yeah, that's never a good idea. So. <laughs> it might work in the short term, but in the long term, it's not sustainable. Um, so self-control is a foundation of resilience. Self-control is your ability to self-regulate, to control your emotions, to respond effectively in any situation. It's your ability to be proactive rather than reactive, to be empathetic rather than judgmental, to maintain that calm focus no matter the chaos that's swirling around you. So just think about the last time you 
or somebody who you know had their ego hijacked. They lost control, right? They were triggered by the need to be right or protect their point of view or jockey their agenda, and they responded inappropriately. So have you ever had that experience? Sadly, yes. <laughs> Personally, you know. <laughs> so what, what is the cost of that? What happens when people have low self-control? What, I, what I've seen or felt, they begin... You know, people begin to have a lesser opinion of those people. You know, they go, well, those people can't control themselves. They're always blaming somebody else. You know, they can't take responsibility for what's happening. And they just, they lose it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so lack of self-control has significant cost. So first of all, you lose trust, right? Communication breaks down. Relationships are impacted, but most of all, it costs you your integrity. So when you go to sleep that night, you just don't feel good about yourself. You know you weren't consistent with who you committed to being and how you committed to being known, which is originally the definition that I offered of resilience. So for everybody, for all of us, you know, that's an ongoing journey. It's about our willingness to constantly build the muscle and the ability and install practices and rituals in our day-to-day life that help us remain calm and focused and, oh, by the way, optimistic and positive, sometimes for no reason at all. What are some of of the ways or steps a leader can take to build resilience? Yeah, so what I typically say to people is begin by assessing how resilient you are. And we have a complimentary 10-minute online resilience assessment. People are welcome to go and take it and find out really how resilient you are and find out how you score and measure up in each of the five C's, the five resilience at work competencies. Then you have a baseline, right? You know where you are and you know where you want to and need to get to in order to achieve the level of not only success, but also the level of fulfillment that I think people are really hungry for now. So that would be the first thing. The second thing I always recommend to people is figure out what lack of resilience is costing you what it's costing you personally, what it's costing your team, what it's costing your organization. And we have a a a resilience calculator app online as well that people can actually figure that out. And then then it comes the time to make a commitment. You know, and that fifth C is commitment. And to say, look, it's really important that I build resilience. And to start one competency at a time. And typically I say to people, begin with gaining more control over yourself. Because in many ways, that's the antidote to the chaos of the world we live in. You suggest starting with the self-control. And then it kind of just snowballs from there. I've seen that with a lot of other things, whether it's your finances or relationships. If if you start with one key area, things just start to to roll. And you're saying that happens with resilience building? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a synergistic flow. And typically when when we work with teams and companies or, or do resilience coaching with individuals, we try and see where the biggest gap for them is and which of the five competencies. You know, so is it control? Is it your ability to control your conditions? Is it your ability to communicate with transparency and authenticity, your ability to create connection. And then we, we, excuse me, we identify where the biggest opportunity is and then create an action plan around that. Excuse me. Sounds good. 
Um, did you want to sneak the biodome in? Party yes. Or? Thanks so. about the. This is a great story about so. resilience. So if you've heard about the Biosphere 2 project, it was a, a research tool for scientists to study living systems. And it allowed scientists to experiment with farming and innovation in a way that didn't harm the planet was a closed system. One of the most significant discoveries made by scientists had to do with the role of wind in a tree's life. And what they found was that trees inside Biosphere 2 grew rapidly, more rapidly than they did outside of the dome, but they also fell over before reaching maturation. Yeah, so kind of fascinating. After studying the root systems and the outer layers of the bark, the scientists realized that the lack of wind actually caused deficiency of what they call stress wood. So stress wood helps a tree position itself for optimal sun absorption, and it also helps the trees grow more solidly. So without that stress wood, a tree can grow quickly, but it can't support itself fully. It can't withstand the normal wear and tear and and survive. So in other words, the trees actually need stress in order to thrive in the long run. So if you transfer that idea to us as human beings, we need hardship, we need stress, we need the challenge and the resistance to help us grow stronger and to be able to withstand the adversity or the disruption that comes our way. That's amazing when you think about it. I think of how many people try to avoid any kind of conflict or danger or risk and I think it can be related to that tree store, the the biosphere with those trees. You know, we, we need to be put up against something. We need to have something coming against us, at least at some points in our lives, that'll help build up our strength and resilience. As we wrap up, what do you wish you would have known about leadership 20 years ago? Yeah, you know, I think when I would have known 20 years ago about leadership is it's not about what you do. It's about how you do what you do. So if I had known that great leadership is about being more authentic, more connected, more vulnerable, I would have been much more successful sooner. (laughs) And I think also, I wish I had known when I was 20 that the key to being a powerful, effective, successful leader in the world is taking care of yourself first. You know, building that physical, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual resilience and that strength and that well-being. Because when you come to the table to lead, you have to stand in that peak state, P-E-A-K state. When you're in peak state, you're tapped in, tuned in, turned on, you're passionate, you're enthusiastic, you're healthy, you're well, you can lead much more effectively. Great advice. Final question, do you have any parting words of wisdom you'd like to leave with listeners? Yeah, I would say, you know, great leadership is an inside job. (laughs) You know, typically we think to be more successful, more effective at work and in life, it's about fixing something out there. If something out there would change, if I could change that circumstance, you know, be there instead of here. And at the end of the day, I believe the greatest wisdom we can offer rising leaders is that great leadership begins with yourself. And the more committed you are to personal development and growth, the more successful you'll be in the long run. That's a great piece of advice. Thank you for joining us today, Sandy. 
where can listeners find you? Yeah, great. So um, our website is UXL, that's the letter U, E-X-C-E-L.com. have tons of great resources. People are very welcome to take the, the free resilience assessment. Uh, also on Twitter, U, U as in I-U, U-Y-O-U underscore Excel, E-X-C-E-L. And also uh, on Facebook, Excel at Work. So we'll be very excited to connect with people and chat more about resilience. I hope you found today's Answers from Leadership podcast episode as valuable as I did. Sandy shared quite a few amazing insights into resilience and how we can become more resilient. If you enjoyed my conversation with Sandy, I encourage you to visit theroarbook.com and theroarbook.com slash contest. For any book purchases of Roar between June 14th and 20th, the proceeds go towards conservation efforts at the world-famous San Diego Zoo. I highly encourage you to go get your copy today. As always, you can find show notes to today's episode at jmlalone.com slash 014. There you'll find excerpts from the interview, tweetable quotes, and links to Susan's website. Until next time, continue leading.